yeah, I want to welcome you to our Spiritual Conflict. It's going to be a teaching series. There's going to be some little preaching moments for sure, but it is a teaching series. And so you need to buckle up and get ready because it's a little bit like a fire hose. So yeah, I encourage you, whether you're here at home, dive in. Um, so a few things off the top. Before I actually say what I want to say, I want to first say what I want to say. Number one, uh, Spiritual Conflict is a series. And so what that means is that each and every week, yes, it can sort of, sort of stand alone, but you need to judge the whole thing by the entirety of the series. So that, what that means is that every single week, we will not fully unpack everything that we desire. And so there, even as we go through it, after a week, you might be like, ooh, what about this? Or, I, wait a minute, you said that? Does that mean that? Give us the whole 10 weeks to dive into it. And so if you miss a week, you can always jump back online and engage it. Or Mondays at 8 p.m. You can catch the replay of it uh, because it's an important series for our, our church to dive into. And the second thing that I'd say is that every single one of us need to pause our pride as we dive into this topic. Because of the enlightenment, technology, various breakthroughs, uh, many times that we have this under the current that when we look back in history that because of what we know and what they didn't know that somehow we're smarter than them well we may have more technology but how many of you know when it comes to spiritual conflict there was nobody more smart the more brilliant than jesus and so when we look at the life of jesus when we look we look back at spiritual conflict in particular in western enlightenment environments, again, we have this tendency to believe like, oh, that's, that's in other countries or, or, or that was in other eras or that was for other civilizations. But like we've far passed these things and that's a deception. That is a deception because how many of you know that the enemy is still active? Darkness is still active. When you look at the world in which we live, it's not just human behavior that's the problem. There is also demonic activity that is actually influencing behavior, human behavior. And that doesn't get humans off the hook, not at all. We're all responsible for our behavior. However, sometimes we need to not hack away at the branches, but go to the root of what is going on. And that's what Jesus is masterful at doing. And so today we want to look at two things. What is God doing 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365, years, 365 days a year? There are two things that God is consistently doing. And we're going to look at those two things, and here's why it's important to look at those things. Because God is doing these two things consistently, you know that the enemy is also trying to work in a counterproductive way, in an anti-love way, to thwart these two things in your life, in your marriage, if that applies, into your family, to your relationships, at work, in neighborhoods, in cities. There are demonic assignments not only over individual lives, but over nations and over cities and over provinces. And so the enemy is consistently trying to thwart what it is that God desires to do. Now, having said all that, Let's dig in. I want you to picture yourself walking into a coffee shop. I know this has to go pre-pandemic, but I want you to imagine that you go into a coffee shop and in your hands is a boiling beverage of your choice. Whether you want that to be hot coffee or hot tea or some of you weirdos that just get hot water with like lemon in it or something, but that was a joke, but sort of not really. I'll just have a hot water. What is wrong with you? Why did you Anyways, okay. Oh, but I love it. I know, weird. Okay, so you have a boiling hot beverage in your hand, whatever it happens to be, you got it. And you're going to meet a friend, and you walk over, and you see a stool like that, and that's sturdy. You know, you can be trustworthy. You sit on it because it has three legs. It's anchored properly. It's going to hold you with confidence. You hold a boiling beverage, and you sit down. Now, not in, this, not in the frame, but the exact same scenario. If you were to see a stool, and it was missing a leg, 
or missing two legs, and it was leaning against, you know, the wall there. Um, how many of you would know you would not select that to sit upon? Number one, because it lacks stability, all right? It, it, and even if you have the most incredible balance in the world, it's probably not the wisest thing to do to hold a boiling hot beverage while trying to balance on a broken stool. And the reason why I use this analogy is that because for you and I to follow Jesus, there are three prongs to following Christ. And it is first, of course, yes, our allegiance, our trust in King Jesus to save us. Absolutely. That is one part to following Jesus. But there's also battlegrounds around truth. What is true? Who is what is ultimate truth? Where do we believe truth comes from? Does it come from God or does it come from looking on the inside? Do I self-determine truth for myself or do I submit to God's ways that are higher than mine and more ultimate than mine? So there's a battle. That's another leg, though, around truth. So you can give your heart to Jesus. You can surrender and be saved, but really be messed up in some areas around truth. Okay, all of us should put our hands up there. Yeah, that's all of us. And the third leg, or the third leg of that stool, is the power side of the stool. And that looks at the power of the, the Holy Spirit within us, but also the reality that the Holy Spirit is not the only power active in the world today. That yes, we can see that for sure, you know, God is ultimate, he is supreme, but there is, there is Satan, there is a fallen angel, a fallen being, and then there is fallen angels with him or demonic activity in the world today. And that is a dark power that is very, very real in the world in which we live. So three, pro three prongs of the stool. And so this summer, we're going to tilt to the power stool, while touch on, on the power leg, I should say, while touching on all three. Here's a quote. It says, When Jesus heals the sick and drives out evil spirits, Satan's dominion is departing and God's kingdom is coming. We see this in Matthew 12, 22 to 29. All, all, everyone say all. If you're in the chat, please type the word all. All of Christ's activities are therefore a conflict with the enemies. All of Christ's activities are therefore a conflict with the devils. This is Acts 10, verse 38. God's son took flesh, became a man, became human, that he might overthrow the power of the devil and bring his works to naught. Hebrews 2, 1 John 3, and that's a quote that you can see there. It's just a quote saying that when God begins to move, it opposes the things of darkness so that we, the inhabitants of earth, can be set free to follow Jesus and to see, to see truth and to have the power of darkness broken off of our lives and to be infilled by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if you want to read any supplemental books alongside this series, there's two that I would recommend um, that you dive into. And there are others, but really these are the two that I would recommend. I would recommend that you read a classic called The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. It is an insightful book. Uh, it's a powerful book. You can do an audio book or you can do a book book. Either way, dive in. C.S. Lewis, The Screwtape Letters. But there's also a brand new book that was released just towards the end of June by a local Ontario pastor. His name's Dr. John Thompson. He's at Sanctus Church. And it's called Deliverance. And he basically shows you how God moves all throughout the scriptures. I can tell you, I've read the first 10 chapters. They're phenomenal. I'll finish the rest of it this week. And I'll come, if it's not great, the last 10 chapters, I'll come up and give a redaction next week. But what I've read so far is actually, it's biblically based, it's biblically sounded, and it's incredibly helpful. So screw tape letters and deliverance. 
The foundation of any series, including spiritual conflict, uh, anytime we talk about Jesus, the foundation, though, has to be love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 says that anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And so for God so loved the world, famous John three sixteen. for God so loved the world, the actual literal translation is for God so loved the people of the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. First Corinthians, or First Corinthians 13, verses 1 to 3, if you've been in a wedding, you've heard this quoted. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but if I don't have love, I'm just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but the heart isn't love, I am nothing. And if I give away all that I have, that's not just 10%, that's 100%. So if I'm, gener if I'm generous to the nth degree, give away everything I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, I'm martyr. But the motivation isn't love, or I have not love. I, I gain nothing. And so love is absolutely critical. And why am I establishing this is this. I would like to say that because God is love, Satan is anti-love. Because God is love, then Satan is anti-love. Did you know that right now, this is what God, because God is love, this is how God is choosing his disposition towards you and towards me. That right now, because God is love, how many of you know that God is patient with us? He's kind towards us. He bears things with us. He believes the best about us. He invites us to abide in him and not in other things that may look good but will not satisfy. He endures with us. Thank you, Lord, that you are long-suffering with this kid. Even as I fall short, and he celebrates as his truth sets us free. Unapologetically, as various teachers teach through this series this summer, we are also going to amend some of the language that we normally use and go right back to biblical language just to make and drive home a point. And I just used an example of it here. It says, enduring with me, I just said, even as I fall short. Fall short is a beautiful way to soften what sin really is. Now, I'm not trying to heap shame or condemnation because in Christ there should be none. Yet the truth of it is this. None of us fall short. The biblical thing is when we sin, we rebel against King Jesus. So sin, oftentimes when we soften, and why am I saying that today? Because I do think we live through times and seasons where pendulums swing and then they swing. And sometimes when they swing too far, they just have to be course corrected. And when we look at the church, if we soft pedal sin all the times, it's a symptom that becomes absolutely devastating oftentimes in church leadership. And so for my life, I try to oftentimes think in my imperfection of my life, the sin of my life, it's not just, whoops, I slipped this week. No, 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 no. The truth of it is I chose to rebel against King Jesus. I chose to rebel against his rule and his reign and his authority. And I bought into something that I ultimately maybe in that moment didn't realize, but at fruit realized, ah, that felt good or that felt right or that brought some form of pleasure or that brought some form where it felt like freedom, not realizing that I was actually being 
being driven deeper into bondage. Because when I rebel against Jesus, I'm not just out here in no man's land. When Jesus taught, he really said, you can't serve God or mammon, money, not just dollars, but a bigger structure. He's really saying it's the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of night, of, of darkness and of light. There's no third alternative here. I tend to believe oftentimes it's like, well, I'm just doing my own thing over here. No, 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 no. It's either we're walking in the way of Jesus or we're walking in the way of darkness. This is what Jesus taught and believed. So if God's motive is love, then what is Satan's? Charles Kraft says this, well, he is anti-love. He is anti-God. He is anti-everything God does and stands for. He hates God, and he uses every means at his disposal to thwart God's activity, especially his loving relationship with us. And so Satan and darkness do the opposite of all I just read a moment ago. In fact, if you read the scriptures, demonic is often referred to as unclean spirits. If you're in the chat, you can just write the word unclean. Doesn't mean you didn't have a bath or a shower, okay? It's not what it means. Although if you didn't, you're a different level of unclean, okay? It's not what it means. In Leviticus, there was ways that children of Israel could be ritually unclean. Okay, that's one side of it, but also morally or in, in impure or unclean in this way. And this was in reference to their holiness before God. And so when the demonic is referred to as something that is unclean, of course, all the children of Israel would have understood that. For us, sometimes we get a little bit puzzled. But truthfully, when the, de when de or the demonic is referred to as an unclean spirit, it simply means this, that it is the very definition of the opposite of holiness. It is the it is a Opposing everything that God is and that God would do towards you and me. It is anti-love. It is the opposite of holiness or wholeness. Okay? So there is never a moment of any given day where the enemy has a kind thought towards you, where demonic forces will do anything in your life but bring you bondage and destruction. There's not a moment in your life where the enemy is kind towards you. Demons were originally created good. For all of God's works are good, but they subsequently fell from their original angelic position. We see this in Psalm 148, Colossians chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 2, and then Jude chapter 6. I told you it's a teaching series and it's a little bit like a fire hose. I did warn you, but we're going to keep going. As created beings, demons are limited in power, influence, and knowledge. So has anyone here ever heard someone say, you know, uh, Satan's really getting on my case these days, or he's really tempting me, or he's really doing all these things? I don't want to burst your bubble, but I probably wasn't Satan, because he can be in one place at one time. And I'm not saying you're not the most important person in the world, but you might not be. But it doesn't mean there cannot be demonic influence over our hearts and lives. So oftentimes it's, we attribute it this way, that God is like the king of heaven and Satan is the king of hell. That's absolutely incorrect. That is absolutely incorrect. The scriptures say that Satan is the prince of the air and hell is his ultimate destination. Well, the lake of fire actually is his ultimate destination. So God is sovereign over all, everyone said. Okay, God is sovereign over all. And so God knows all things, Satan doesn't. Even Satan himself, the prince of demons, the ruler of this world, is ultimately subservient to the sovereignty of the triune God. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father. But the enemy also has an unholy trinity. And it is, of course, Satan and demons themselves. The second thing would be the flesh 
And third would be the world in which we live that is both fallen and broken, one day to be redeemed by God. Demons were effectively defeated and disarmed through the cross of Christ, though they will continue to attack and oppose the king and his kingdom until final judgment. A moment ago, when Chris was singing, we were singing All Hail King Jesus, as Pastor Rhonda was leading us. By the way, happy anniversary, Pastor Rhonda and Jason. It's your anniversary today. Yes? Happy anniversary. 23 years. Magic. But as they were singing, all hail King Jesus, and then Chris uh, began to lead us in worship with these little words, like, you are welcome here, you are welcome here. I want you to know, when Lori and I go on prayer walks, that is exclusively an all I pray. Lord, I claim Luke chapter 10, verse 19, behold, I given you, you've given me in Jesus power over all workness, you know, tread upon serpents and scorpions and all the work of the enemy, and nothing by any means shall injure me. I learned that when I had a battle with fear, my parents had me memorize that when I was a child, and I've never forgotten it. Luke chapter 10, verse 19. The enemy's under your feet. So everywhere your feet tread or everywhere your bike goes when you're going to prayer walk or prayer drive or skateboard or, or, or jog or get in your car and drive, well, I don't even know what to pray. Pray that. Lord, you're welcome here. Lord, you're welcome here. Lord, you're welcome here. Lord, you're welcome here. I look at the houses. Lord, you're welcome here. Lord, you're welcome here. Lord, you're welcome here. What are you doing in that moment? You are standing in the place of intercession. You are standing in the midst. You may not feel it. It may be a beautiful day. You're going for a walk, but you are combating darkness, not by being focused on darkness, but by saying, Jesus, would the kingdom of light invade the darkness of this world? Lord, you're welcome here. Lord, in this church, you're welcome here. In this pulpit, Lord, you're welcome here. In this heart, Lord, you're welcome here. In my marriage, Lord, you're welcome here. With my family, Lord, you're welcome here. In every area, that's all you have to pray. So some of you are going, I don't even know what to pray. I wouldn't sign up. I don't have to pray. Can you just say, Lord, you're welcome here. Then sign up and pray that everywhere your feet go. And you're an agent of intercession, actually in the midst of the world in which we live. That's all. That's it. That's all you got to pray, okay? Every one of us can participate. And if you forget what I said, you can rewind it, you can record it and play it in your car. Lord, you're welcome here. Lord, you're welcome here. That's all you got to do. And here's the very thing. Some of you are sitting here right now saying, well, that's not actually that powerful. In Jesus' name, I take authority over that unclean thought. Immediately diminished. Because the enemy knows there's power in the name of Jesus and there's something about you and I praying and interceding. Their motive, the demonic, their motive isn't love. It is disrupting humanity in opposition to God. When God uses your life, it brings you purpose and fulfillment. When the enemy uses your life, it's like the prodigal son story that we've told about the last couple of Sundays. It leaves you in want and need, in a state of brokenness and longing for more. Yes, preceding that, though, however, is intense satisfaction and pleasure. Jesus defines anti-love as a thief. Where the enemy is present, there is a progression. John 10.10, 10, here's what Jesus said. The thief, the enemy, Satan, comes to only to steal. So number one, his identity is a thief. Whenever the enemy talks, he always lies. Oftentimes he doesn't tell outright lies, he tells half-truths, and that's why they're deceptive. He tells us things that we believe about ourselves that are not necessarily true. How many of you know that we must take responsibility for all of our behavior? Can I see your hands, please? But in Christ Jesus, that we have a different position and authority simply than just what we did. Are you with me? So I may have sinned and rebelled against Jesus, but in Christ Jesus, I'm still the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but an area of my life needs to be freshly confessed and submitted to God. Okay? 
So Satan is a thief, always trying to steal what Jesus has purchased and repurchased and given back to us as individuals in the church. He's a thief, and he steals, and he kills, and he destroys. It's one thing if somebody breaks into your house and takes something. It's another thing if they break into your house and kill your dog. That's horrible. I was going to make a joke about cats there, but I didn't. Ha, ha, ha. It's one thing if they break into your house and take things. It's another thing if they kill your dog. That's a horrific thing. It's another thing, though, if they set and they burn your entire house down. That brings ultimate destruction. The enemy's plans are not just to steal from you, but they are to kill and they are to destroy. And destroy is a final thing. So again, for some of us, when the enemy begins to move on our hearts and lives... Jesus is always trying to work to stop what it is that the enemy is doing. But there's a progression that Jesus taught. There's a common enemy, a common darkness, whose anti-love temptations are powerfully effective. The Apostle Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So many Christians trust Jesus with their salvation. So, Lord, I trust you that you're, you're a savior. But there's another battleground around truth, what we believe to be true. What we root in our lives is in truth. We live in a world today, once again, that says that self-determination is ultimate truth, that I know who myself, I know what I feel, I know what I think, I know what I believe. This is ultimate. I am the ultimate authority of my life, not you. How could you ever know anything about me? And so in order for me to find out who I really am, I must look inside. Well, that's in direct conflict. Now, I'm not saying you don't know certain things about yourself. We need the whole series. But it's in direct conflict to what Jesus said because what Jesus said actually is if you want to see all the injustice of the world, you actually got to look. It's from the inside where it comes from. That's where it, that's where it moves. So again, the, the wisdom of the age is conflicting with the authority of Scripture. We don't often say, well, there's a, you know, that's just a, that's, that's it. We can agree to disagree. Jesus would come along and say, pick one to serve. You can't serve them both. Why? Because they're incompatible. It doesn't work that way. One is ultimate and one isn't. One you will serve and the other will be subservient, vice versa. It's just how it works. And I know I'm going to lean in here. I'm going to skip on this that we're going to touch on later. Some of us have been taught just because we've been saved, I know that we're new creations in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Everyone say all things. I get that. Absolutely. And that's truth. Amen. Yes. But it doesn't mean every area of our life is submitted to Jesus. It doesn't mean that we can't have a stronghold in a particular area of our lives. It doesn't mean that Jesus isn't Lord in my heart and your life. It means that he's the savior of my life, but he, not, he may not be the Lord over every area of my life. There may be an area that he's not king. And if he isn't king, what Jesus says is, you're not king, something else is king. Something else has a place of authority there or has a stronghold in that area of your life. I'll give you one example, just one example, and then we're going to keep moving on. Pastor Lori and I were uh, working with an individual. I'll keep them all their name and all that stuff private. And one day, they, they, had a, they had an experience, and they wanted to talk about it. And so they made an appointment with actually, you know, uh, Pastor Lori. And I was coming along for the meeting. 
and it was, you know, we, we were going to meet together. So we began to meet. And the Bible talks that there is this beautiful conviction of the Holy Spirit when there's sin in our lives, that the Holy Spirit wants to convict us. And oftentimes when the Holy Spirit brings conviction, there's a sense of guilt. Now, in psychological terms, where psychology is washed into the church, anything that makes us feel bad is bad, but that isn't biblical at all. There's something about holy guilt that touches our hearts that should draw us to confession and repentance. But oftentimes when we're about to confess something that is shameful, it is the Holy Spirit's job to reveal things. It is the enemy's job to keep things hidden. So oftentimes when God begins to move, it looks like more of a mess than it does beauty. Okay? So this individual, because they had a beholden sin in their life that they didn't want, they wanted freedom from it, but it's been a struggle year after year after year after year after year after year, they made a vow. And the vow was, I'm never going to tell anybody about it. And so we were meeting with this individual and, and, and look, at, I've got discernment that's about as good as a butter knife. I feel like I could like walk by a room or a house downtown that literally was like Satan's house and I'd walk right by it and I'd feel nothing. Just like, wow, that's pretty dark in there. Okay, yeah, let's go check it out. What are they, what they I, don't, I don't have great, it's not a gift that I have. Some of you have like antennas and you can feel darkness like 6,000 miles away or like it's right there. I couldn't feel it if it was right beside me. I shouldn't say that because that's not true. This meeting felt different. So we you know, began to pray, began to pray in the Holy Spirit, began to pray in English, began to pray and, and, and sing every Christian song I know. <laughs> began to pray. Seriously, began to pray. And if you don't know me, I tend to be a rather nice person. I consider myself a, a, swell, a swell guy. So much so, like if you, you know, accidentally backed up into my car, I would probably get out and go like, oh, I am so sorry. Was I in the wrong spot? Like, eek, right? I worked out yesterday in the basement, and as I was coming upstairs, I was on my phone, and I was walking up the stairs, and, and, and one of somebody in my house, I don't know whom, they threw a mattress down the stairs. And so it was in the dead middle of the stairs. The lights were off. I was looking on my phone. You, know, you shouldn't be looking at your phone and walking, but I'm not always the sharpest tool in the shed. And so I walked into the mattress, and I said, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and the mattress said nothing because it's a mattress what is wrong with you <laughs> anyways so here we are in the meeting and the individual that we were praying with was talking and then it came time for them to confess what they needed to confess and they began to shake I kind of looked over at Pastor Oya like I I didn't know this was that type of meeting we were going to have. And they had written out everything that they wanted to confess on a device, on a phone. And the individual pushed it across the table. And I didn't hear an audible voice at all. I didn't hear anything audible. But together, Pastor and Lori and I just sat there and together we just said, no, you read it. And the individual tried to read it and they couldn't say a thing. And then I quickly got my garbage can because I didn't want any, like, anything on my floor. And then we prayed and took authority in the name of Jesus. And, you know, grateful for a wife with discernment. And their mouth was opened. And that which has been hidden for years finally came to the light. But they made a vow, I will tell no one 
And so there was this thing of muteness. They could talk about the sports and they could talk about this. But this. But when that demonic spirit was like, like when it let go, it let go. They began to read. We prayed. You'd be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it was this tremendous moment. And I know the individual has walked in freedom from that day. It's a glorious thing. Now, they need accountability and a million other things. Yes, a thousand times yes. But sometimes the root of a problem in our life is not just behavioral. There can be a tie there. Now, again, we need the whole summer to talk about the difference between a lot of these different things. And not everything is that, but sometimes it is. So what are the two things that God is always doing as we rapidly close? The two things that God is always doing and the two things that the enemy is consistently opposing are salvation and freedom. Freedom, I don't just mean in a literal sense. I mean freedom can be freedom from illness or freedom from uh, you know, financial you know, bondage in our hearts and lives, freedom from you know, demonic influence, freedom of generational curses. There can just be freedom in our hearts and in our lives. Another word for salvation is allegiance, which again is, is a commitment, is a faith, is a trust. Every person on the planet is a person of faith. Everybody is a person of faith. It's just in whom or in what we have faith or place our, tra- our faith. Every single person has allegiance then. Every single person pledges allegiance and not just to a flag. Every single one of us. We may not have said the words, but we do with our behavior and our words and our lifestyles. All miracles of Jesus point to the greatest miracle of all, which is salvation. Excuse me. Each miracle was not only a profoundly personal moment for the individual, but it also proved to authenticate who Jesus is. Miracles are not, hear me with both ears and your whole heart here, miracles are not turning the world upside down. The world is upside down as a result of the fall. Miracles are showing us the way in which God intends the world. Jesus himself said the greatest physical miracle pales in comparison to the gift of salvation. So as we sing songs about signs and wonders, and yes, we want to see physical miracles, absolutely. I've heard some people erroneously say, man, oh man, if the Lord would just kind of unlock that, all we need to see is miracles, and then people will believe. I wonder if they've read the story of Jesus. We don't just need physical miracles. Physical miracles, Jesus himself said physical miracles are extraordinary things. Yes, but they do not necessarily turn an unbeliever to a believer. That's not how it works. That physical miracles pale in, in, in reality to the gift of, his, of salvation. Here's what he said, Jesus himself. What does it profit a man? What does it profit humanity to gain the whole world? Every prayer answered. Every prayer answered yes. Every financial blessing. Every miracle you ever prayed for, the answer is just yes. And God's, Jesus himself said, what does it profit if you gain all of that, but you forfeit your soul? In other words, what was Jesus saying? Be careful. Be careful. Because sometimes the very things that we call blessings pull us further away from God. Jesus was 10 times more concerned about affluence than he was poverty. I'm going to say that again. Jesus was much more concerned about what happens to the state of a human soul in affluence than in poverty. Because something happens in affluence. We believe we don't need God. This is what happens. 
This is what happens in countries that are rich and wealthy and all of these things. Somehow we buy into a deception that all we, all we need can be found within ourselves. That is a demonic deception over a nation. What does being healed of an earthly illness mean in light of being saved from eternal separation from God, which is Satan's destiny and ultimate desired plan for the destruction of humanity? Yet the Holy Spirit is moving people to open their hearts to the gospel right now, which is the message of Jesus provided through the finished work of Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection. That he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Church, the gospel isn't self-help. It is surrender. It is trust. It is confession. It is, it is absolute repentance. It is turning from sin. It is not playing with sin as though it is something that we can control. That's a deception an illusion. It is turning from sin. It is trust and it's a lie and it's an allegiance to King Jesus. The gospel isn't good people being a little bit better or even a lot better. The gospel is not how do I just get my marriage better, though I hope in coming to Christ and dying to our flesh, it makes our marriage better. How many know that a lot of the problems in the world today can be solved if Christians would just die to their flesh? Mine, a lot of problems, mine would be solved. Oh my goodness, a whole host. Well, why don't we just do that? How many of you know? Because there's spiritual conflict. Because there's temptation in this present age. And so motivated by love, salvation is God's heart for every person on the planet. And it's the mission that we're called into proclaiming with our words and with our behavior. Yet here's the challenge for the church. Many Christians trust what Jesus says about love, about salvation, but they don't seem to trust as much what Jesus said about Satan and darkness. We take it very, very seriously, what he said about justification and sanctification, but we don't really pay much attention to what he said about Satan and darkness, and that's unwise. So darkness is always present to pull our allegiance to destabilize what you believe is true and ultimately to establish a stronghold or an area of your life. And when the enemy establishes a stronghold, here's what you know. It's not just to have one hold. It's to actually move there and have an offensive into our hearts and lives and pull on other areas. As darkness is successful, here's what you will experience. You will experience pleasure and exhilaration and you will experience the feeling of finally, feel, uh, finally feeling free. Yet like a hungry fish biting down on a wiggling worm, you're going to receive a whole lot more than you bargained for. Samson did. And keep going through the list. What's the big deal? Why is this a big deal? Because the other thing that God is consistently doing in the world today is setting us free. Being set free has to bring a question or implies a question, free from what? Again, too many followers of Jesus are saved, but we're not free. And free are the other two legs of the stool of truth and power. Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, Paul writes to the church, who gave himself for our sins, that is Jesus, to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Then the next, in a couple of verses later, he says this, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And everyone said, Amen. But then he says, but you got to stand firm, therefore, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. In other words, there's one battle to get free, and then there's another battle to remain free. The word yoke is odd, but it's powerful. A yoke is something that would be placed upon oxen, which helped them execute a purpose. Usually it was treading grain. 
One of the most powerful questions that we as humans ask is, what is my purpose? In other words, what on earth am I here for? To answer that question, every human is going to need a yoke. Live in this way, do these things, believe this, try this, embrace this. Atheism, agnosticism, secularism, spirituality, all of these worldviews contain yokes. You either have the yoke of agnosticism or atheism or secularism or spirituality. These all contain yokes. In other words, you can't have this yoke and the yoke of Jesus simultaneously on your shoulders. It's not how it works. There's only one yoke. And here's what Jesus said. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30. Come to me, all you labor and are heavy laden. What are you exhausted by? All these other yokes. And I will give you rest. He says these words. Ready for it? Ready for it. Take my yoke upon you. In Jesus, there's no fine print. There's no fine print. In the enemy, it's full of half-truths and deceptions. With Jesus, it's up front. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That's what Jesus says. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you're going to find rest for your soul. And here's what he says. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. But following Jesus is still taking his yoke on our shoulders. Even though the burden is easy and the yoke is light, it's still there. Freedom is following Jesus. It is trusting God's word as ultimate, that his yoke is ultimate in our lives. And bondage and slavery then can be trusting Jesus for salvation, but not trusting what he says about others, about jealousy, about forgiveness, about envy, about sex, about marriage, about money, etc., etc. In following Jesus, salvation and freedom are not found in throwing aside all restraint but entrusting which restraint, which yoke to put on our shoulders. How we live in the world will actually live, lead to our full flourishing. Closing thought. I've alluded to it twice. Pastor Lori, you can come. I've already gone way over time. Matthew Smithhurst says this. The world says your main problem is outside of you and the solution is within you. But Jesus says your main problem is within you. And the solution is what God has done for you, which is outside of you. Every generation has to pick which one of those things they believe. And the battle for truth in our generation is around this very thing, which is the battle for truth in every generation. Two things God is doing today is extending the gift of salvation to anyone who wants to follow Jesus. And he's also moving by his power, by the power of the Holy Spirit to set us free from deception, darkness, and all power of the enemy. And so this summer, in Jesus' name, be it, may it be a summer where God's move, God's activity of salvation and freedom visits this house and visits our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Mm -hmm.